Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. We interrupt this regularly unscheduled uh, classic Doctor Who marathon thing. Not really a marathon. Uh, uh, the Mythmakers with New Who. That's right. You wanted to uh, hold off um, the Mythmakers and the end of Vicky mm-hmm. on Doctor Who and replace it with a lovely comic romp in <laughs> form of Father's Day from series one mm, well it was it was more that uh we're recording verity tomorrow uh i'm kind of as a oh my god we're c- recording verity tomorrow last minute <laughs> last minute scheduling yeah. uh so uh, so i'm watching father's day tonight so yeah we weren't really able to necessarily fit it in in between um the myth makers and whatever comes after that because i who knows when we'll get to the next thing because it's lazy doctor who we're crazy like that. We are very crazy and lazy, uh, and so this this is your uh, your untarnished, unblemished early pre-Verity reactions. I can't I can't remember now because Verity comes out on the Wednesdays, obviously, and we have often you record this like two or three days before Verity, and I forget what you said on the <laughs> Lazy Doctor Who compared to the. Have there, have there been times where you've like repeated yourself or you refer to the same set of notes? As Verity? Well, I don't refer to notes for Lazy Doctor Who. Let's just make that no. very clear. Um, but uh, sometimes I repeat myself a little bit. I try to keep things different to some extent. But when we're talking about really basic opinions, there's going to be some overlap for sure. But Verity is such a different kind of discussion. It goes in all kinds of different directions and there are more people to bounce off of. So it's it's. I don't feel like you're necessarily getting this even remotely the same experience uh, listening to that versus this, even if it's about the same episode of Doctor Who. Yeah. Do you remember this one when it aired back in uh, 2005? That's the last time I saw it. I've only ever seen this once until now. This is the second time I watched this episode. You've just doubled your viewing of Father's Day. Yeah, just increased by 100%. Wow. Mm -hmm. What What did you think of it then? Do you remember? I did not like it. No. Why not? Um, I, you know, it's interesting watching it now. I'm I'm recognizing why I didn't like it. And I think one of the big reasons is kind of the same reason that I've had trouble with a lot of early Doctor Who. And that's just because I was a crusty, old, cold-hearted fangirl. And this newfangled Doctor Who... Shaking my head over here. <laughs> this newfangled Doctor Who was very... There's a lot of feels. All, yeah. all of them, in fact, in this episode. And I was not ready for that in Doctor Who. I just wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't my Doctor Who. Uh, so it was. It was kind of tough to deal with. And just when I would think that something, like the long game, just kind of as we talked about last time, kind of felt like classic Doctor Who. Then here we go to this, which does not feel like classic <laughs> Doctor Who uh, in many, many ways. Uh, so there's that factor, which I think is probably the biggest one. The other one is that I'm. I told myself when we decided to start watching series one for for Verity that I was going to sort of watch watch Rose with an open mind because she was never a companion that I you know got to like very much and I I wanted to you know experience more joy and open my heart to her and I'm just I'm finding that she's grating on me and I'm just I'm recognizing the the things about her that bothered me then were not so much just because I was a, a crusty fangirl, it's just because she's just not a character that appeals to me as a viewer. And this episode, I think, is one that really cements that for me in a lot of ways. 
Wow. Why don't you like her after this? Uh, the doctor's right. She's stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's just, I just, I, oh, it's kind of like the, when you see your friend or perhaps your son uh, dating someone that right. you just think they could do better. Uh, you know, somebody you care about and you want them to be with somebody who's the best. And I just, I keep feeling like the doctor can do better. I want to point out something. Oh, dear. Because I just feel like you are judging Rose, Mm -hmm. um, the character, Mm -hmm. from a platform of having watched Doctor Who since you were four. So, therefore, you know Mm -hmm. the rules of time travel and what you should and shouldn't do. Therefore, this person who has just been swept up Mm -hmm. in the past few weeks into a time machine Mm -hmm. should know as much as you. Right. I... And I actually, I have, I did put something along those lines in my notes because (laughs) I wasn't reading, I wasn't reading along. I want to point that out. (laughs) Um, Just because um, we, when we, way back when we talked about the Aztecs and actually I think I may have even said it on Verity too. So there's a little bit of a, uh, when we talked about the Aztecs, yes, because you just talked about it on Verity. So I'm right. So I'm saying, I think I, they think this might be a case where like, you know, a year apart, I may have repeated myself a little bit. Um, talking about how Barbara at that time you know she she's trying to change history you know it's really this is in in some ways kind of a a retread of the same same sort of plot idea uh it changing time is a dangerous thing and it doesn't doesn't always work um but I I found myself being annoyed with Barbara for wanting to make such a fundamental and vast change and then backpedaling a little bit realizing that back in the 1960s Science fiction was not nearly as, as big of a thing as it has become since then. So, no, probably a school teacher wasn't thinking a lot about the rules of time travel and, or maybe not rules, but you know, possible repercussions, that sort of thing. I don't, I don't give Rose as big of a pass for that because, I mean, she grew up in a time where genre fiction was kind of inescapable. The whole time, the ideas of time travel, I mean, I don't, what, what year would Rose have been born-ish? 1987. Okay. So, so yeah, by that time, by that time, the, the, the whole time travel idea thing was not, I mean, yes, I recognize that I had, I think I spend way more time thinking about it, probably than most people in the world now even. However, uh, yeah, I just, there's that. And, and, you know, I will, I will cut her some, I will cut her some slack. Okay. But when the doctor says, Mm -hmm. don't touch the baby right in her face. Yeah. And then she touches the freaking baby. Well. Well, no, 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 no. She, she makes absolutely no motions to say, don't give me the baby. She doesn't back away. There's nothing. She just sits there and she kind of reaches out to grab the freaking baby. Right. She's stupid. She's just stupid. Oh, that's very frustrating. I I, th- I think you were blaming basically Jackie at this point for not... You, you're telling Jackie that she's a bad parent, saying, why didn't you show Rose Back to the Future at some point? Because clearly <laughs> Back to the Future exists the Doctor Who universe. They reference it in season three, or series three, rather. Oh, that's your, I, so you're blaming... You should have raised Rose to be a nerd. Clearly Jackie, I don't know if you've noticed this, Jackie isn't, doesn't quite think that way. She probably watched like Samantha Fox videos or something like that, and EastEnders, and other things that people did in England in the 1990s, and didn't worry about 
teaching Rose about, you know, I don't think, for instance, I don't think David Lynch's Dune ever got an airing in the Tyler household. Uh, what, just saying what that not much science fiction was, was played in the Tyler household. So, you know, unlike Rory, for instance, later on in series six, he sort of like knows all this and Mickey sort of is all aware of the conspiracy theories and stuff like that. But Rose, not, not in her uh, wheelhouse. And she did say that it was like on impulse. She didn't plan it. Mm-hmm. You know, she, that's what she told us. She just she said, it's instinct. Mm-hmm. You know, it's her instinct to save him because he's right there. It's kind of like if you go back in time or something like that. And let's say you're on the grassy knoll mm-hmm. uh, on November 22nd, 1963. Mm-hmm. And you're just, okay, I'll just sit here, chill out, watch history. You just feel like... I should stop that because that's your instinct. You know, that's your human instinct to stop a tragedy from happening. If it was truly instinct, she would have done that the first time. This was, this was, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't, she was, she's, she's right. It wasn't a premeditated thing. You know, I, I like, I kind of like how the doctor suddenly gets a little bit suspicious and says, you know, I said it was a spaceship or whatever and you weren't interested. And then I said it travels in time and like, have you been planning this all along? Mm. No, I don't, I don't believe that. I believe her when she says that wasn't a plan. I do wonder if she had that in her mind already when she said, can we go back and do it again? Because if it was completely an instinctual thing, she would have run out to save him the first time. I think that she probably thought, okay, I checked it out the first time. Let's try it again. And then, and then in the impulse, I think she, I think she wanted to be with him when he died at first. I, I, I believe her. I believe her tale. Okay. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe, but I still, there's no forgiving the, the touching the baby thing. There's like, the, that's just, that's just, that's just being stupid and careless. Yeah. She shouldn't have reached out for that. Maybe that's the, uh, the instincts again, you know, obviously there's a, there's a bit of a paternal instinct. It was me, mm-hmm. you know, here, here's the baby. I was like, get that thing away <laughs> from me. It's going to poop or scream or both or something. Uh, and I mean, I suppose it's, you know, trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. Right. She's overwrought. It's been a really, really hard day. Very so she's probably, you know, wasn't wasn't thinking straight by that time. But still, it's just, yeah, it's it's frustrating. And you know, I I I think I have always judged all of the Doctor Who companions all the way through history um, against myself right. and the way I would do things. It's just that's that is how I that is how I pick my favorites. That is how. Things strike me emotionally, and I'm not going to apologize for that. Here's the thing, though. I mean, uh, as has been stated by many people over the years, the companion is sort of the entry character for the viewer into Doctor Who, for the for the mm-hmm. regular viewer, not mm-hmm. not uh, distinguished high brains like ourselves oh, who have watched Doctor Who since we were four. No, no, no. I I think that the the companion is for me, but I think there are a lot of people that the Doctor is is. Yeah, I mean, but uh, you know, I bet you probably a lot of people think, "Oh, what would you do if you tried?" But oh, I'd go back and do this, and ch-, you know, that they like you almost think that I can go back and fix things and change things, and this irrevocably, irrevocably, irrevocably. That's a tough word to say. <laughs> Changes. I for now I forgot what I was going to say. This <laughs> forgot about the word. Sometimes words are tough. Um, this shows that you really shouldn't change history and it show you know I, you can say 
you know, if if the Doctor and Romana are traveling around, and then all of a sudden they both know the rules of time travel, and there's no drama there. There's no incentive for the companion not to do it. Where you know the viewer says, "Oh wow, I guess time travel is kind of tough." We find that's, you know, we learned that the long game that you can't use fi- uh, time travel for financial gain because that changes things, and you cannot, unfortunately, go back and stop people from dying when they should have died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do find it fascinating that this 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 is so the doctor to not <clears throat> recognize that bringing someone to watch their father die mm-hmm. is a bad idea. Well, <laughs> understand that the first place he takes her once he gets to the TARDIS, hey, let's go watch <laughs> your world blow up. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he he's kind of planted that scene, probably uh, that seed, probably inadvertently. Yeah. No, I just I think that that's that's kind of a delightful character trait especially of this this doctor at this point you know post time war and stuff yeah. not he not quite understanding how how these strange human feelings work yeah. yeah which i like yeah and i have to say i quite enjoyed it this this time mm-hmm. so i mean i'm recognizing the things that that bother me but overall um the episode was it was i think you know now i'm i'm past that the silliness of of uh of not wanting feelings <laughs> in my doctor who like I've, I've i've gotten beyond that so i was able to embrace the uh the beauty and the sadness at the end of this uh, i was i'm i'm still i'm still a little sniffly oh i know i i was i was reading articles about um a Republican National Convention and stuff. Just go. Oh, this is the part that usually gets me. So I'm just gonna flip through this article. Yeah, that's what I remember when this first aired. Uh, I would used. I used to watch it on my own, and so like I remember thinking, "What are these emotions I am feeling when watching Doctor Who? This is not new for me." And so Father's Day kind of changed me as a fan, thinking this is what the new series can do now. Oh my god! Yeah, it was written by Paul Cornell. We're friends with him now these days. Yeah, and I think to, to some extent that also affects how I look at it. You know, when I when I know the person who has created something, <laughs> you want to give it a good lashing now. No, quite the opposite. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you know, just willing to give it the benefit of the doubt more than I would be something from somebody I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Which, um, I you know what I think that's a good thing, and I think that. You know, I think a lot of people would be like, oh, just because you know so-and-so, you're going to be nicer about that episode. Well, you know what? What's wrong with that? I think that's actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think I think it would be a better thing for the entire world if we pretended like we knew the people who created everything or at least remembered that there are human beings behind all of the, the works of creative fiction, creative, shut up, phone, phone. Uh, creative anything out there. And and what is wrong with giving something the benefit of the doubt and finding more joy? Like I just, I that was just something that I was kind of thinking of while yeah. I was watching this. That that I know a lot of people who are are creators and 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 make things. And you know that doesn't automatically mean I like their stuff, no matter how much I like the person. Mm-hmm. But it makes me go in with a positive outlook, and I think that's great. I don't know. I think uh, the the people who we know who have written Doctor Who episodes and created things I think had their works been bad Mm -hmm. they would have been shunned from the circles that we (laughs) 
gravitate in. Mm-hmm. And so we would have, if Father's Day was bad and human nature and the family blood were bad, then Paul Cornell wouldn't have been invited to conventions or anything mm-hmm. like that because, oh, I don't know if we want to invite him. His episodes are pretty bad. And so we <laughs> wouldn't have met him or Rob Shearman or Peter Harness or anything like that. So it's so it's not us to judge what's good. Mm-hmm. It's already good stuff, so they get invited to things where we can meet them. <laughs> that's That's probably part of it. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. There's a little self-fulfilling prophecy there, but mm-hmm. I think I think it factors in on a personal level too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Sean Dingwall on this? Who played Pete Tyler? Um, he's fine. Okay, because I liked him a lot. I thought he was really good in this, especially the scene where he's staring out the window, mm-hmm. and you know the music echoes what he's thinking. He's basically looking out at the car, trying to put it together, and then he suddenly does, and his face just sort of, mm-hmm. you know, that. I think I said this on the memory cheats recently uh, about that, and then the other scene. This is all Joe Hearn who directed this, by the way. I love the scene where it's where Rose stands up after Pete dies at the end. And the camera just holds on her and then until she finally looks up and then there's the doctor right there. I just thought how um, bold and displaying such confidence in your actor to just hold a single wordless shot on mm-hmm. the actor for those for those scenes and let them tell the story with, with their expression and their emotions and their acting. And I thought it was really good. I think I have heard you talk about that so many times that my expectations were raised pretty high. And I repeat myself so often. Yeah. It's what happens when you have like three different Doctor Who podcasts, you understand. One of which you've been doing for ten years. Sure. Um but so so I think I think you're right about that. And by the end of the episode I I, I did think that he was great. But at the beginning of it it was a combination of, of expecting greatness at the outset where he's just, you know, being a regular bloke. Um, and also the fact that season one or series one of Doctor Who just has a slightly different look and feel to what we're used to now. And I've, I think I've talked about this before that it's the thing is, it's it's almost like an uncanny valley of mm-hmm. television production. So when I'm watching something from the 70s, it looks and feels different. But I'm okay with it because it's so far removed that it's just like, oh, this is 70s TV. Oh, this is 60s TV. Even 80s, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff I was growing up watching. But it it looks and feels different in such a vast way that I reset my brain for this is this is 80s television. Right. It's harder to do that for early 2000s television because it's not that far gone, but it's still different. It's just not, it's it's very much the uncanny valley. Like it's just getting so close, but not quite there. Um, so I was, so every time we watch one of these episodes, it takes me a little while to sink into it because the beginning feels so, so off and just, you know, the the filmization of you know like i don't know what the the technical word is Mm -hmm. the anti-vid firing we'll call it yes yes exactly um just it it has a a slick without being slick sort of look to it um which isn't quite the same as what i'm used to so so seeing him acting i mean he's kind of brash and in your face not like in a jackie sort of a way Mm. but uh at the beginning of it where i was sort of expecting this subtle performance was a little bit jarring and then yes by the end of the episode we do get that subtle performance which is beautiful and had me like weeping so so yeah i think he was good it just took me a little while to to get beyond all that stuff it's like watching just think about watching uh let's say uh, 
something in season one. Let's say we just watch the censor rights. No, well, we just watch the Aztecs say, and then compare that to watching, I don't know, Death to the Daleks or the Invasion of the Dinosaurs. I have not seen these. Those are ones I haven't seen. Uh, Okay, we'll go one. How about like the first season of Tom Baker? Okay, I remember that. Okay. That's, That's basically what the gap between production of these are and how much tv has changed uh it's time wise maybe but i would not say that it's the same gap as far as how much tv changed because i think i think the leap in in technology was greater from the 60s to to then um, than it was than it than it was from from here to Mm -hmm. to just back to the I have to. I, I was impressed with like you know some of the Reaper effects. I thought were like you know what like 2005. Thinking that things have advanced a lot since 2005, but that looks pretty good. I I feel like I've heard people on podcasts talk about the janky um, special effects of the CGI Reapers. Uh, what? I don't know what they're talking about. I think they look great. They're really good. Mm-hmm. I've seen some. You know, I know you like Once Upon a Time, but sometimes I've seen. I mean, I understand that they have like 22 episodes in a season, so they have like three hours to put together a convincing dragon creature in that show. Um, but I thought, yeah, I thought I thought these effects have actually aged quite well. Yeah, I have I have zero complaints and yeah. and and big compliments. Actually, in fact, I think it looks I think it looks really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You wanna you wanna feel old? God, what now? The uh, the girl who played Young Rose. Mm-hmm. She's almost the age of Billy Piper when Billy Piper shot this. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. She's like three years younger than Billy Piper was when they shot this. Time is weird, man. Mm-hmm. Weird. Yeah. Is that it for uh for uh, I was gonna call it Family Guy? I don't know why I want to call it <laughs> Father's Day. I see, there's the apostrophe right there. So you saw this. You were deba- you were wondering if there was an apostrophe in Father's Day when you're sending out emails. Yeah. Well, I always get confused for holidays: Mother's Day, Father's Day. Is there an apostrophe? Is it supposed to be before the S, after the S, and it's different for different holidays? <laughs> See, I knew I knew there was an apostrophe in Father's Day, but now that you mention it, is there an apostrophe in the actual holiday? Quote unquote. Mm-hmm. I. Th- these are the things that I have trouble keeping straight, and I have to look them up every time. Mm-hmm. Going to default to the doctor one. All right. Is that it? Is that for this? Uh yeah, just yay. This was this was good. This was the, I feel cathartically released a little bit about my my Doctor Who feelings in this episode. That's good. I I think we've I th- I think watching series one um for you mm-hmm. is very much a um therapeutic uh sort of mm-hmm. experiment, sort of getting you to open up and embrace your own feelings about about Doctor Who and try to shed the crusty old fangirl um, that has long hindered you from enjoying new series Doctor Who. Yeah, this is like, this is therapy. This is fan therapy via Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next episode, whenever that is, we will we will do uh, The Myth Makers Part 4. Yeah, I can't put it off forever. The, the, the thing is, I, I don't want it to end, but I'm, I really like it. So I really do actually want to get back to watching it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do it? Maybe the next three episodes of Lazy Doctor Who will just be, you know, the first seven minutes of part four. And then we can put it off and then watch the next <laughs> seven let's, minutes. Let's not, uh, let's not go too silly with that. Okay. Because you know what's coming after the Mythmakers? 
Oh, is it Dalek's Master Plan? It's Dalek's Master Plan. Oh my goodness, I'm very excited about that. I, I really wish that there was some sort of holiday that we could, you know, use as an excuse to just spend all day watching <laughs> watching it. Well, here in Canada, it's, uh, at least in Alberta, there's Heritage Day, a.k.a. August Civic Holiday, <laughs> to give us its, its sexy proper name, uh, next Monday. And it's our favorite weekend of the year because there's a Heritage Festival here in Edmonton where we go, go eat all sorts of different foods from different countries. Um, and then we could come back here and watch many episodes of Dalek's Master Plan while we groan <laughs> out of our distended um, tummies from eating all that food. That is an idea if we want to wait that long to watch <laughs> the Dalek's Master Plan. I don't know. We'll that, see. You never know. It sounds too much like planning and we're it supposed does. to be lazy. So, yep. It's, it's nice to know that there are options out there, but we make no promises as always. Not at all. Someone asked us uh, on Twitter today, when are you going to do Dalek's Master Plan? And yeah. I wanted to say, once we finish the Myth Bankers, that's how this works. Yep. Yep. Oh, and bef- before we go, uh, totally, totally different subject. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast as as it is going out, so kind of like in real time, I just wanted to point you to a little Kickstarter that is happening that oh, Stephen yeah. and I are involved with. Uh, I don't know if we've mentioned before that we both work on the Uncanny Magazine podcast. And we are on staff for Uncanny Magazine, which is a fantastic magazine of uh, fantasy and science fiction genre stories and poetry, uh, also nonfiction essays and interviews, and it's really, really good. And actually, Paul Cornell, who wrote Father's Day that we just talked about, did a story for Uncanny Magazine uh, a few months back. Yep. It was on, somebody read it for the podcast. Who was it? Oh my gosh, that was me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyway, right now, as we record this, we are in the midst of Kickstarter for year three of Yay. Uncanny Magazine. Uh, and there's been a lot of really awful, horrible crap in the world lately. Um, lots of lots of darkness and people trying to bring each other down. And one of the things that I like my, the most about helping work on Uncanny Magazine is that we are really devoted to trying to bring more joy and light and creativity and love <laughs> into the world through these stories um, that that make you feel. That's what that's one of the taglines is stories that make you feel. And uh, Lynn and Michael, who are the co-editors-in-chief and co-publishers of Uncanny Magazine, make it a point to search for voices that are often the, the kind of voices that are, are downtrodden in the world and to, to lift those voices up and to make sure that, that everybody uh, gets represented and that we get to hear different perspectives. And it just, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be involved in. So um, if you, if you feel like you would like to throw some dollars towards something that is actively working to make the world a better place for everyone uh you could not you know you certainly could do worse than than looking at uh the uncanny magazine kickstarter and i don't know the website exactly but if you go to kickstarter and search for uncanny magazine you will find it and you'll find a nifty video that somebody uh somebody edited together i wonder who that was i made a video (laughs) yes that was steven Good job, dear. That's me. Yeah, you're. We I we edit it together in the podcast, and you read stories and poems too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I and I usually proofread the magazine as well. Mm-hmm. It's we we work hard and we are proud of what we do. And if uh, if you feel like checking it out, you know, even if you don't have any funds to to spend, um, 
do check out the magazine because all of it can be read for free online. Uh, and uh, and it's good. It's worth checking out. Unmag- uncannymagazine.com. Yep, that's where you can find it. Check it out. And you can find us at theincomparable.com slash lazy doctor or lazy doctor who.com. Yep. Yep. And lazy doctor who on Twitter. Yeah. Is that all the plugs? I think it is. Um, become a member of incomparable. We haven't done that for a while. That's true. Yes. The incomparable.com slash members. If you want to support us, you know, our podcast directly. Yeah. Lots of ways that you can, you can support us directly or indirectly because yeah, the, the uncanny magazine Kickstarter also helps pay us because we are on staff. Yeah. We should do a, uh, we haven't done a, like a feedback episode in a while too. Do we have a, do we have an email address? We do, don't we? Mm-hmm. What is it? It's lazydoctorwho at gmail.com. And actually, I think we got a, pre- a good email that I wanted to uh, to read out. Um, we should do that because I think it's about Not the myth. today. The phone's all the way over there. No, it was about the, it was about the myth makers. So next, uh, next episode. Oh yeah. There's, mm-hmm. there's an incentive and a hook. For the next episode, we'll not only watch the Mythmakers, we'll answer a question that was asked to us about the Mythmakers. Yeah. So, you know, send us other questions uh, about other things, any Doctor Who things. And yeah, maybe we'll we'll get around to reading them eventually. <laughs> maybe not right away because we're lazy. They build up. Mm-hmm. All right. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye.